Good morning, everyone. It's almost trite to say that we live in a very dark and foolish world. We look at what's going on in Israel, and we look at the tremendous upsurge of anti-Semitism all over the country in our colleges and universities. And we say, this is Hitler all over again. I can't believe it, but it's there. The, uh, the anti-God things that are going on and coming from our government are just astonishing. The things we see in our neighborhood, I came down from, oh, from the high school up there, Lake, Lake Ridge. And I told Aussie, when we turn this next corner, I want you to take a look. We're usually praying, but I caught it out of the corner of my eye. Yesterday she did. And here's a home. And it's got all these Santa Claus decorations out in front of it. And it's got a skeleton 10 or 8 feet high with a red snow cap on top of it. And I just thought that's how far we've drifted. It's just evil. And it's everywhere. We are so privileged to be able still to come on this Sunday morning, any Sunday morning, and talk about our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. You know, where all the hatred comes from, it's demonic. It's from the Garden of Eden on. And Satan despises the name of Jesus and all that he is about. So we delight in preaching about it teaching about it. This whole section, which is Jesus' last discourse to his disciples, is what this week I termed a mission-critical briefing. Imagine you were leading a global impact, history-shaping mission. I get into these things. You see that you're about to die. And you've trained trusted associates to carry on your life work. You know the time is short as it was with Jesus. Just hours. Just hours. You have only a few hours to live. What would you say? I know what I would share with them. If it were me, I would impart to my trusted associates the most fundamental things the most mission-critical things, things that would be most important in keeping them and the mission on track. That's what all this is about for the next three chapters. I would tell them the things that would most help them carry out my mission and vision according to plan. In these chapters 14 through 17, Jesus leaves a leaves a deposit to them, a deposit of instruction, which he felt it was most critical for his disciples to know. 
and to digest for future efforts that remember they're not getting it all right now. We kind of look back and we think they saw everything. Jesus had tried to tell them, I'm about to go away. I'm about to die. Uh, But they just, it wasn't settling in like things sometimes do not settle in with us. To understand Jesus' teaching in these next three chapters and to cling to them would, Jesus knew, be a huge comfort to believers in any times of adversity and would serve as a theological anchor to keep the apostles' minds and hearts within the bounds of safety. The teaching here, not just today, is like a plumb line to a paper hanger. You ever hung a lot of paper? I have. Maybe 200 rows. If we keep coming back to Jesus' teaching in these chapters, we will not only feed our souls and find comfort in this challenging world, we will protect and inoculate ourselves against some of the most faith-destructive errors now circulating in our nation and in our churches. So what does Jesus have to say about himself? We'll review some of last week. For the comfort and reassurance of his disciples in anticipation of his imminent crucifixion and departure from this earth. What does he teach that contradicts the stuff that is floating around out there and twisting Christian minds and faith? It's crazy. Last night, I hardly ever listened listen to it. I mentioned just clicking across channels, saying what's theirs or anything interesting. And I come across TBN. And they've got something really inspirational going on. And it's just really moving my heart. And then the next program, I say this reverently. I said, oh, God, no. Not that guy. You have him on there. And he's done everything but renounce the faith. What's wrong? Just get it all mixed up. I thought later for an analogy. It's like my father-in-law's slum gullion when he was fishing. They'd get to the last day and then they had all his food left over and they'd just throw all the leavings in the pot and then throw in a few bolts and nuts. And that's what it's like today in the church world. I just go, your pastor does. Do people see, do people know this is not even Christian? Well, let me review what Jesus told them and us last week. In verses 1 through 6, Jesus teaches, something big is about to happen. I've told you before. He doesn't say all this now, but we know that. I've told you men before. In a few hours, it's going to go down. They're going to come for me, my enemies. Judas is going to leave them. 
I'm going to be arrested. There's going to be a kangaroo court. Then I'm going to be hauled before Pontius Pilate. And I'm going to be crucified. Still not completely landing. They were in denial as people are. Jesus says, I want you to know something. And this is what we, this is mission critical brief, briefing. It may all go to hell, capital H E L L down here. You may get sucked up in the vortex of it all. But I want you to know I'm not leaving you orphans. I'm going back to be with my father. And I'm going on a mission. I'm going to prepare a place for you. No matter what happens here, it's not the end. In the end, you win. You're going to win big. Keep that in your mind. No matter what happens here on planet Earth, feet on the ground, I'm going to prepare a place for you. If I weren't, I'd tell you. But I am. That's where I'm going to be. Then the second thing he tells them, which what was a stress point last week, in verse 6, disciples said, Lord, where, where, where are you going? And Jesus says to them, I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life. Mission critical information, that's who I am, that's what I'm about. I want you to know what I am about. I am the way, the truth, and the light. I want you to understand no one comes unto the Father except through me. As long as this world lasts until I come again, you just know where I am. I'm with the Father. I'm preparing a place for you. I'm coming again. The end here on earth is not the end for you. To that, I'm the way, I'm the truth, and I'm the life. Last week I told you as I move over this. You cannot trust in God and refuse to trust in Jesus Christ. You can not make God the object of your faith and decline to deposit your faith in Jesus Christ. If you're not a believer, I want you to understand that. There's no bypassing Jesus. There's no end runs around him. May I exhort and admonish you when you share your faith. And some of you got this big time last week. You told me. When you share your faith, make it clear that Jesus Christ is the defining object of our Christian faith. There I remind you again that he's the point of offense. Many people are in, are in some nebulous way comfortable with trusting in God. Well, I think Grandpa trusted in God. Hey, did he trust in Jesus, the Lord and Savior? God says, I want to be known in my son. You trust in my son. You trust in me. You don't. You don't trust in me. It's interesting, after the service last week, one of our men, who's not regularly here because he works all night, but he was here. He was at one time an alcoholic. He's in what they call recovery for 20 years. But he really latched onto that, and he told me. 
He said, you know, Jim, about 20 years ago, I was in an AA meeting. That's good for reform, not for regeneration. And he said, you know, they don't like to talk about anything but the creator, you know, that sort of thing. I made the mistake of mentioning Jesus. My phrase, they were all over me like white on rice. There's the offense. And we stand, seem to instinctively know it, that we can talk in a slippery way about God and evade Jesus and leave the impression that we're witnessing. No, folks, we can't. A man that used to be in this church, he moved on to Salem. I don't know if he's even still alive. Some of you will remember Ron Post, founder of Northwest Medical Teams. He got a chance to speak at some uh, big wig Lake Oswego function for all the all the power players in Lake Oswego were there. Ron was very bold. And he said, I'm going to talk about Jesus. That was the last of his invitation to those meetings. It's kind of the way it is. So let's get to the point. It's about Jesus and not the cowboy Jesus that you hear so much about, which is less than the Jesus the Bible talks about. The word who became flesh. Then Jesus tells us in verses 7 through 11 that he is, in effect, the very image of God the Father. Let me read that. Jesus tells his disciples, if you had known me, you would have known my Father. Also, let me tell you, from now on you know him and have seen him. Then Philip says to him, Lord, Show us the Father. That's enough for us. Jesus said to him, Have I been so long with you, Philip, and yet you've not come to know me? This is very interesting. He who has seen me has seen the Father. So, Philip, why are you saying Show us the Father. Do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father in me and the words that I say to you, I'm not speaking on my own initiative, but the Father abiding in me does his works. Believe me, I am in the Father and the Father in me Otherwise, believe on account of the works themselves. There's a lot more there than may appear. I want to break it out to you. Philip's request, Lord, I hear you. Just let us see the Father. We won't need to ask anything else. What was Philip really asking? will tell you. Philip was asking for greater intimacy, a more direct exposure to the presence and power of God. 
That's the universal heartbeat of God's people, not just Philip. His request flags a fallacy in our quest for spiritual intimacy or experiencing God. If you know Christ, that's probably a great hunger in your life right now. I know, and that's good. There's nothing wrong with that. I know Aussie was telling me just last two weeks how she was lying in bed and just praying for that very thing, just to be closer to God, to be more intimate with Him. That's a valid prayer. Pray that. And that's kind of what Philip wanted. In this flesh, he sensed that the distance wasn't as closed as he would like it. Show us the Father. He wanted to be really in touch with God. You see, he had really made the connection who Jesus is, not fully. He wanted to have a front row seat at the exhibitions of God's power. There's a fallacy underlying that premise. This gets right down to where we live. Bear with me. There is among God's people the mistaken notion that more than any other attribute, the most defining thing about God is his power, infinite power. I want to be up close, personal, with the power of God. There's not anything wrong with that either, not not inherently wrong. But there is still something missing. I want to explain to you what that is because it might be (coughs) a real revelation for you. There is where we miss the boat. In reality, as God told Moses back in Exodus 33, I mentioned this before, Moses was in a crisis. Things had gone haywire. The people of Israel were not getting it. And Moses said to God, I just... I'm going to need help here. You've given me an assignment leading this people. I'm going to put it in my words. They're going to drive me mad. They're already driving me mad. I don't know how to lead them. I'm not up to this task. Lord God, I know what I need. I need you to show me your glory. Well, Moses had already had a taste of that. So had they. And then the Lord tells him something that is most interesting. He says in Exodus 33, in answer to that, Moses, I'm going to answer that prayer. I'm going to cause all my power to be displayed before you. No, he didn't say that. It's startling. He says, I'm going to cause all, (coughs) excuse me, I'm going to cause all of my, what? Fill in the blank. My goodness 
to pass before you. And then I'll skip down to Exodus 34, verses 6 through 7. The Lord, the Lord God, Moses, here's my goodness. The Lord, the Lord God, he is what? Guys, can you get that up there? I'd like for you to see it. But that's not their fault. I had so many scriptures to stick in here. I wasn't supposed to be preaching today. Did you know that? David was. And I hope you're not saying we can tell. <laughs> no, that in Exodus 34, it is just so good. I can't explain all the intervening section. The Lord's compassionate, Exodus 34, 6 and 7. The Lord passed by in front of him and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord God. You want to know who I am? You want to know the You want to know my glory? You want to be more intimate with me? You don't need to see more displays of power. You want to know God? You and I, do you really want to know God? The Lord passed by in front of Moses and they proclaimed the Lord, Yahweh, Yahweh, Elohim, compassionate and gracious. There is God, slow to anger, abounding in loving kindness and truth to all of you and me, everybody who are all messed up who keeps loving kindness for thousands, who forgives his grace, iniquity, transgression, and sin, the whole gamut. Yet he remains a just God. He will by no means leave the guilty, that is, the guilty who persist in rejecting him. He'll by no means leave them unpunished. He will in the end visit the iniquity of the fathers upon the children and the grandchildren to the third and the fourth generations. I am a just God. But for those who receive me, and we receive him how? In Christ, in the New Testament. That's the character of God. If you want to know God and be intimate with him, you need to understand him in that character. I mention that so strongly because there's a point where we must take issue with our brethren attracted to Pentecostal, charismatic theology. What these folk want to do, what these folk is the power of God. Show me the stuff. That's what I want to see. That's what John Wimber said, the founder of the Vineyard Movement. That's where they want to seek intimacy with God. Indeed, folks, it's an impressive thing to come face to face with the power of God. But as these disciples were proof, the glory and the essence of God lies in his moral being. The person who knows God, the person who really sees God, the person who's on most intimate terms with him is the person who is most conformed to his moral character. 
These men had seen the power of Christ as nobody had since Moses, Elijah, and Elisha. You can literally be in touch with the power of God and out of touch with the character of God. Israel in the wilderness for 40 years, display after display after display after display of the awesome power of God. What they did not do at the end of the day is know God, know him in his character, his moral being. In the final analysis, those among us who really know him are those who walk in love and in holiness. Those who experience intimacy with God are those who most consistently walked as Jesus walked. If we know him, we know the Father. If we have seen him, if we have discerned through the Holy Spirit, his moral character, through his word, we have seen the essence of the Father. If you want to be closer to God, concentrate on knowing the character of God and not conforming to it. The power trip is not the answer. The answer is moral conformity. I've mentioned this many times over my ministry here. If across the street where that, I forget what they call them all across the street. Anyway, it's where you get crumble cookies. <laughs> That's what I remember. I'm here, go get them. <laughs> That's the one. If across the street, that property were vacant and there were a big tent there. And uh, they were announcing that uh, Joe Blow from somewhere, probably from California or Texas, he'd be from one of those two places, was going to come in, and there's going to be a signs and wonders meeting. And people would come out there to cruise way, and they could turn left or turn right. Where do you think most of the cars would be turning? I can tell you where they'd be turning. That way. Because they, they want to see Signs and wonders. But if up here we were going to put on display the moral being of God, eh, not so attractive. To know Christ is to know the Father. To know the Father is to know Jesus Christ. A.T. Robertson said, God is like Christ and vice versa. In John eight nineteen, Jesus told his detractors who were questioning them, questioning him, if you knew me, you would have known my father also. So in verses eight and nine eight and nine, Philip said, Show us the Father. Jesus said, Have I been so long with you and you've not gotten it, Philip? He who has seen me has seen the Father. So why are you saying, Show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? And the words I speak to you, I do not speak on my own initiative. But the Father abiding in me does his works. Believe, I say to you and to me. Believe I am in the Father and the Father in me. Believe me that I am in the Father. He emphasizes this. And the Father is in me. If you can't just take my word for it, then look at the works. The works of Jesus were not just displays of power. 
Demons can sometimes do that. But his works were always works that displayed the moral character of God, his grace and his mercy. So, truly, truly, I say to you, verse 12, he who believes in me and the works that I do. What about this? Let's read it again. Truly, truly, I say to you, and he who believes in me, the works that I do, he will do also. And greater works than these shall he do, because I go to my Father. Whatever you ask in my name, that I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. Is that true? Jesus says, look at all the works he did. Jesus says, I'm going to my Father. I'm not going to be here, boots on the ground. You're going to be here. They didn't understand any of this yet, but the Holy Spirit was going to be in them and on them. And the works that I do, you'll do also. In fact, I want to tell you a secret. You're going to do greater works than I do. Huh. You may be sitting there, as I used to be before I finally understood that. Huh. I swear I haven't seen that. I've never seen anybody raise the dead. I've never seen anybody cause a blind to see the mute to speak. But if I ever saw it, it would be so rare. Jesus said you do greater works than these, the ones you've seen me do. Is that true? Let's go back to across the street. They're over there. They're going to be, they say, let's just assume it's true. They're going to be causing the blind to see, the deaf to hear, the mute to speak. They're even going to raise a dead person. Wow. Wow. I want to go over there. But over here, the word of God is going to be preached. The dead are going to be raised. The spiritually dead. People are going to come to know Christ. The blind are going to see. The deaf are going to hear. The mute are going to speak the praises of God. What did Jesus mean? He meant the greatest miracles of all his disciples were going to do because he was going back to be with his father. In heaven, the Holy Spirit was going to come. Let me tell you something. There is no greater miracle. And quite a number of you in here are examples of that. In fact, the majority of you. You have been born again. You were dead in trespasses and sins. But you were raised, regenerated, reborn by the power of God. There's no greater miracle. And his disciples went out into all the world and people everywhere were coming to know Jesus Christ. That's the greatest miracle of all. Why do we minimize it? We don't get it. Oh, I was there. His leg was four inches shorter than, his right leg was four inches shorter than his left leg. And I just saw it go like that. Well, maybe it did, maybe it didn't. 
but I saw some people reborn and become children of God. That resurrection is the greatest resurrection there is. And the whole world has been changed as people have been transformed. It's still an awfully dark world. But people come to know the Lord Jesus Christ. I have seen it over and over again. It's just, don't have my phone with me. I wish I did. Last Sunday after the service, a man texted me from Pittsburgh. I read it to my group last Sunday night. He said, today I went to church for the first time in 44 years. That's because you've been my pastor for the last eight years. He had heard the word of truth. He had been in a cult. He had come somewhere along the way to know Jesus Christ. There was a man. I shared this also. There was a man way early in my radio ministry. He uh, got in touch with me. I frankly don't even remember how. He said, Pastor, I've been a cocaine addict really deep. He said, I found Christ through your ministry. And he said, I'm no longer hooked. Well, you hear stuff all the time, and there are many false starts. It went on for years and years. I don't know. I figured he had fallen off the wagon. Never heard from him again. It's a little bit unusual. One day, those two middle doors, nice-looking man with a handsome wife, came walking out. He said, you don't know me, but I'm Mike. Took my hand, and he said, not that Mike. <laughs> not one of them, but says, I'm Mike. Said, you remember how many years ago I called you and told you? Yes. Yes. He said, well, I'm still on the path, still walking with the Lord. Well, maybe I'll see him again, walk in here one day. I've seen that so many times in the course of my ministry. Although I wasn't the one had in Bible college, a young man, I've seen pictures of him, had a suit on, a big cannon in here with a holster. He had been a mob hit man. His name was Lenny. In fact, later on, is that any of you? <laughs> if it is, we're not talking about the same guy. So just understand when I throw these names around. He had also been a boxer. And a boxer that probably most of you have never heard of. Archie Moore told him he could be a world champion. If it weren't for the drugs. But anyway... He used to beat people up and maim them for a living. At one time, controlled most of the drugs in San Diego. Here he was, one of my students, sitting in the class. What's his name? I got names mixed up. Nicky Cruz led him to Christ. Transformed. Transformed. We had a number of these gangsters. I got along great with them. <laughs> in Bible college. I mean, they'd just been real-life gangsters. 
But it was great to see them transfer. Now that's a miracle. That is a miracle that transcends anything else. You see those things. My dad would never tell me much about his conversion. I've told you so many times about Aussie's dad. All I could hear was, dad just wouldn't tell me much. I just knew he was very ashamed of the life that he led. Very ashamed of it. Didn't even want to talk about it. And uh, in those days, uh, coal mining camps and everywhere, they'd have these, some of, how many of you remember revival meetings? Raise your hand. Well, three or four of you. <laughs> three or four of you. But they'd have these revival meetings going a week or two weeks. Anyway, somehow they got dad out of, out to church, a guy that people said could never come to know Christ. He's beyond it. And uh, he uh, came to know Christ. Old preacher Brown, what they called him, my first pastor, I'd mock him every Sunday. Three years old, I'd sit back there and preach as he preached. They didn't have nurseries in those days. So dad came to know Christ and he was really born again, really born again and showed it every day of his life. Now that's a miracle. That's the love, the grace, the mercy, the kindness of God, full of loving kindness. Reaches out in the most unlikely places and draws people to know him. Aussie lost her brother this weekend on my Saturday morning. And uh, I said, you led him to Christ, didn't you? Marsh showed absolutely zero interest in knowing Christ. Then several years ago, he uh, he and Aussie were talking. He's not the only person, but Aussie talked to him. She was so concerned about Morris, and she turned my radio program on and they would listen by phone to what I was teaching and he made a profession of faith in Christ that's what Jesus meant when he said these works Jesus didn't lead all that many people in his three years of ministry to a saving knowledge of himself he gave them signs he gave them wonders that just pointed them to him and to who he was but most did not respond. But to his word, many did. He had his disciples, and through them, hundreds of millions throughout the generations have come to know the true and the living God. That's why we teach the word of God. Sometimes it works quietly. Sometimes it's boom, eyes wide open. But the Spirit of God works and the blind get sight and the mute ears, they hear. And hard hearts are softened and people come to know the living God as many as the Father is drawing to His Son and He will never lose them. John 6 
never lose them. And so it is with us. How many of you here this morning have asked this question before? You receive Christ in some environment under the age of 10. Raise your hand. I'm one of those. Raise them high so we can see. Others of you, in your adulthood perhaps, you came to know Christ. The longer it goes, the harder it is, the harder hearts get. But it's a miracle of God. Sometimes I look at families. They're so distressed. They're so torn. And you think, oh God, will the light ever get through? But sometimes it does and they're turned around. But I look at my life. My parents didn't know the Lord. Aussies, her parents didn't until your mother come to Christ when you were, but you came to Christ and you were about eight. How long was it when you did your mother come to Christ? She was in seventh grade and then much later her dad. We just see how the Spirit of God breaks through. But I look, some of you, you came to Christ much earlier. You've raised Christian families where your children know God. What a privilege. Look at that world out there. You are so fortunate to have been born again at an early age and have your children reared in this godless and ever-darkening environment and have the knowledge of Jesus Christ. I look at my little great-grandchildren as you look at yours, perhaps, and I look and I get those pictures. I get those pictures. And I think, what a joy and what a privilege through a miracle of grace that their father and mother know God and raise those children in an environment where possibly the children will have a chance to know God before their lives are just horribly wrecked. What a blessing. That's what Jesus was talking about. He still does wondrous works of power. But the greatest power of all is when we see his moral character. When we, you and I see in our lives his mercy, we pray and we ask him. We see his mercy. We see his grace. We see his loving kindness. And then when we step in it, we see his forgiveness, his pardon. We see all of that. To know as we sit here that our lives are secure in Christ, that we have an inheritance that will not pass away, that nothing will separate us from his love. That's his moral being. That's his power. And it's still ongoing and it's still being multiplied throughout the earth in spite of all the hell we see raging around us. You can be a part of that. As W.A. Chris will say, somebody you, somebody there, somebody you. You don't know him. You can know him. He's given you the right. He's given you the privilege Though you don't see, he sees you and his spirit is working.
And he's saying in your heart, yes, that's true. Even while one side of you tries to deny it, he is there. And he's come to go on our way to prepare a place for us. If it weren't true, he says, I would have told you. I'm coming again to receive you unto myself. I will not leave you orphans. And he's not going to. I don't know how our lives are going to turn out, yours or mine. I don't know what the end is going to be. How, but I know there is no end for us who know him. You will never die. You will only transition. Your spirit will go immediately into his presence. Hebrews speaks of the spirits of just men made perfect. They're already in heaven. Well, that's a wonderful thing. That's a wonderful hope. There is our hope. Hell is all around us, not nearly as it might be. Maybe it will be. But our hope is always with us. Nothing will ever separate us from the love of God. You can be a part of that love. You can know his forgiveness. You can know it today. Well, people say, well, pastor, what I do, and I always say, you've heard me say it, what did you do at the altar? You said, I do. Say, I do to Jesus. The Father sees you. He knows you. Every thought that you think that races across your brain, he knows it. Say, I do, and then come out and claim him before the whole world. Be baptized in his name. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for all of your goodness, for all of your grace, your kindness. We thank you for your moral glory, for you, our Father, are just and kind and good and forgiving. We thank you for that. In the name of the Lord Jesus, we pray. Amen.